Chapter Four of Roman Color Detective by Grayson Harold Johnson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Four. Father Tim leaned heavily against the warm bricks of the schoolhouse wall, weariness gnawing deeply into his bones. He looked around him with a feeling of satisfaction. Eleven boosts were erected already. They looked gala with their strings of vari-colored lights and the drapery of bunting. In a short time the remaining three would be completed, and then he would call it a day. It had been a long one, starting with a sick call to Mrs. Huntmeyer at 4.30 that morning. What he needed was sleep. Good thing Father Kearney was saying the seven o'clock mass this week. He wouldn't have to get up until 7.30, in time for a little meditation, before the eight o'clock. The heavy hammering of the early evening had given away to an occasional tap or two. Father Tim looked at the men who were finishing the last booths. They must be tired, too. They worked all day at their different jobs, hurried through their dinner, and came over here to put in another two or three hours' work, but from their banter and laughter he knew they were enjoying themselves. A sharp report cut through the warm night air, most likely a car backfiring, but it sounded almost like a gunshot. Who would be doing any shooting around here? He watched John Linton and Father Kearney walk slowly down the midway from the far end of the festival grounds, both intent on one another's words. What good friends they were! Father Kearney had a staunch supporter in John Linton, a fine man, a fearless editor, and daily communicant. If the city could get a few men like Linton in office, there would be an end to graft and chicanery, he thought. Evening, Father. Father Tim looked up to see Mary Jo Linton smile as she walked quickly in the direction of her father. He watched as she met him, said something, and stood by while Linton spoke to Father Kearney. After a moment, Linton lighted a cigarette, and with Mary Jo beside him, walked over to where Mrs. Linton was talking to Mrs. Young. Then he and Mary Jo got into his car and drove out of the grounds. Lights from another booth winked on as bulbs were screwed into the sockets. Two more to go and the men working on these were in a good-natured race. After a few minutes, almost simultaneously, the lights of these booths lent more brilliance to the scene. Men and women, their work finished, lingered on, talking and laughing, as if unwilling to break off the evening's companionship with their neighbors and friends. Father Tim pushed himself away from the wall and started toward the rectory. He would put away his hammer, wash his hands, and then come back for a final check to see that everything was left in good order. When he reached the gate to the flower garden, he met Mary Kearney, the pastor's sister and housekeeper. "'You're wanted over at Linton's, Father. Your brother just phoned and asked me to tell you he was in a bit of a jam.' For a moment a great many mixed-up thoughts raced through the priest's mind. Why would Bill telephone from the Lintons? Had he fallen and caused further damage to his knee? One thing sure, Bill wouldn't have phoned unless something serious had happened to him. He didn't say what was wrong? No, Father, that's all he said. Thanks, Mary. I'll see Father Kearney and tell him where I'm going. Will you please put this hammer away for me? Mary Kearney nodded. The hammer exchanged hands, and Father Tim turned back toward the schoolyard. Father Kearney looked sharply at the young priest. Your brother wants you at Linton's? Better get into some other clothes before you go. Father Tim nodded. Thanks, Father, I will. I forgot how I was dressed. A gentle smile played on the older man's lips as he watched his assistant hurry toward the rectory. He had never seen him move quite so fast. Worried about his brother. 
Surely, though, it couldn't be anything serious when Bill had made the phone call himself. Father Tim almost ran down the road to the Linton home. Anxiety added inches to his stride. Mary Jo Linton met him at the door, her face pale and her eyes full of fear. Come in, Father. He felt an overtone of excitement about him as he stepped inside. At the far end of the hall, beside the circling stairway, he saw Bill seated on a straight chair, rubbing his knee. He walked over to his brother. What's up? Sweat beaded out on Bill's forehead. Plenty. There's been a murder here, and I'm in it up to my neck. You're in it? Yep. For a moment, Bill looked gaunt and lonely. Then with a rush of words, he tumbled out the story, eager for someone to hear and believe him. I was on my way to Aunt Martha's from your place when I heard a shot. I didn't think too much of it at the time, none of my business. But when I got to the driveway leading to this house, a guy stepped out from behind the hedge and put a pistol to my back. He made me walk into the darkness of the driveway. Did you get a look at him? I didn't see him at all. He was in back of me all the time, boring the muzzle of his pistol into me until it felt as big as a cannon. Then he reached around in front of me and handed me a pistol. He told me it wasn't loaded and to pull the trigger. I felt for the clip, but it was out. Anyway, I didn't know what kind of a nut I was up against, and all the time he was pushing the other pistol halfway through my back, so I took hold and pulled the trigger. After he took the pistol from me, he made me walk back out to the road and told me to keep moving. Believe me, I did. I was glad to get away. Until then, I thought I was up against some sort of lunatic but when I remembered the shot I'd heard a few minutes before, and that my prints were on that automatic, I began to think the situation through, so I stepped in among the bushes and watched. I saw a man run across the terrace, toss something into the house through the open French doors, and disappear in the darkness at the west side of the house. I knew it must be the pistol that I had put my fingerprints on. And was it? Father Tim asked. Yes. Why do you suppose he did that? because he just murdered a man named Blake, in there. Bill raised his hand and pointed toward the living room. Suddenly Father Tim became conscious of the day's heat trapped within the walls of the house. He took his handkerchief and ran it around the edges of his collar. Immediately his mind went to the murdered man. Turning to Mary Jo, he asked, This man, Blake, was he a Catholic? No, Father. Father Tim stepped to the entrance of the living room. On the floor, under the glare of a floor lamp, he saw the body of Sam Blake. Blood had formed a large stain on the gray-green carpeting. A strong shudder shook him from shoulders to knees. For the space of a half-dozen heartbeats, he stood motionless, taking in the scene of a murder. Then he calmly raised his right hand, and made the sign of the cross as he pronounced the words of conditional absolution. When he finished the Latin prayers, he turned to Mary Jo and Bill. Thus kneel and say a prayer for the repose of Mr. Blake's soul. White-faced and trembling, Mary Jo knelt between Father Tim and Bill, as the former started, Our Father, who art in heaven. Bill, with his injured knee extended straight behind him, seemed to lose his uneasiness. He replied in a firm voice, Give us this day. The simple, beautiful words sounded through the large room, and came back to Mary Jo, bringing with them a sense of well-being in spite of what had happened. Eternal rest grant unto him, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon him. May he rest in peace. Amen. As Father Tim arose from his knees, he noticed a hole in the window screen, 
and tatters on the edge of one of the draperies. The shot must have been fired from out on the terrace. He noticed also that a pistol lay on top of a small occasional table near the window. Was that the murderer's weapon? Bill said it had been tossed onto the floor. How had it got on top of that table? And why had the murderer gone to the trouble of getting Bill's fingerprints on the gun? Why hadn't he taken the gun away with him? Father Tim rubbed his moist palms against his trousers and turned to the strained faces of Mary Joe and his brother. Your fingerprints are on that gun? Not any more, Bill replied. I wiped the pistol clean with my handkerchief. That's why I'm here. I got thinking how easy it is to check prints and how Uncle Sam has mine. So I decided to get in here, get the gun, and wipe it clean. That's what I was doing when Miss Linton walked into the room and caught me. Father Tim could see that Bill was in a bad frame of mind. His nervous energy goading him to impetuous action, while his injured knee compelled him to remain quiet. What did you think when you saw Bill standing there with a gun in his hand? I'm afraid I didn't do much thinking. I just screamed. My stomach felt like it had a yo-yo flip-flopping in it. I'd have dropped in my tracks if your brother hadn't come over and helped me to a chair. Then Dad came in. Where's your father now? Upstairs with Mother. She's terribly upset. You know she has a bad heart. When I told Dad over at the festival grounds about Mr. Blake being here, we came home right away, but Mother stayed talking to Mrs. Young. I don't know why, but they must have decided to leave right away, too because they dropped her at the drive just a few minutes after Dad and I got home. So she was in on the first shock of it all, too. Dad took her upstairs, and he's still with her. He asked her brother to call the sheriff and the coroner. We're waiting now for them. Father Tim looked at Bill. What a position to be in. His mind raced wildly. What could he do for him? On hearing soft steps on the carpeted stairway, Father Tim turned to see John Linton coming toward them his usual bright, even color, now a splotchy gray. He stopped mid-stairs and lighted a cigarette. Then he nodded. Glad you're here, Father. This is a bad spot your brother's in, and it could get worse. All depends on what Sheriff Benteen wants to make of it. The news opposed his election last fall, and since this took place in my home, he may try to be disagreeable. I believe it will be better if I have nothing to say, one way or the other, about your brother's presence. You'd better handle it. Father Tim made no reply. This was something entirely new to him. In the thirteen months since ordination, he'd seen death come several times. He had tried to succor those in trouble. He had visited a man in county jail and one in the state prison, 140 miles away. But this was the first time he had ever come up against the law, when the suspect was someone close to him. Bill Devon looked at his brother and then at John Linton. I don't see why I need to be brought into this at all. No one saw me come in here, and I don't even know the man who's been killed. Outside of you three and Mrs. Linton, no one knows I was here. We could put the pistol back on the floor and let the sheriff take over from there. I have no connection with this. Linton leaned on the newel post at the foot of the stairs and looked sharply from Father Tim to Bill. I see your point, but I don't believe it would do. Sooner or later I'll be placed under oath to tell exactly what I know about the events here this evening. The same is true of Mary Joe and Mrs. Linton. We could not honestly omit telling that you were here. No, it's better that you be in this from the beginning than brought into it later. You would surely be under greater suspicion then. As things stand now, you are merely a victim of circumstances. Father Tim nodded. 
That's right, Bill. It can't be any other way. Mr. Linton is right. No one can hold you for murder. You had no motive. I didn't even know the guy. Never saw him till I entered the room a few minutes ago. You believe me, don't you? John Linton eyed Bill soberly. Yes, of course, but it's not a question of what we believe. It's what the sheriff will think. Suspicion feeds on little things that do not make up a reasonable answer. Your story is fantastic, even though true. The full realization of Mr. Linton's words came to Father Tim as he stood there searching for the meaning of all that had taken place. He agreed with Linton that Bill's story sounded fantastic, yet he knew that Bill had no connection with the murderer. He looked at Bill and gave him a confident smile. For a brief moment, Bill felt the gentleness of his brother's smile, and then reality smashed back at him, and his aggressive temper flared up. He'd not just sit here while the events of the night touched him with bloody fingers. His jaw muscles tightened and his lips formed a straight line. He slapped the arms of his chair with a gesture of open temper, his voice rising sharply in anger. Tell the sheriff anything you want. I'm leaving. Father Tim laid a restraining hand on his shoulder. No, Bill, this is something you've got to see through. You can't walk away from it. Don't make it appear worse for yourself than it is by leaving. Bill took a step forward, then stopped. This is a fine mess to come all the way from Korea to get into. He returned to his chair and sat down wearily. Father Tim saw the hint of approval in Mary Jo's eyes. Turning to her father, she said, I think I'll go upstairs to Mother. Do that, honey. She may need you. John Linton said. As she passed him on her way upstairs, Father Tim noticed the dusting of freckles on her upturned nose. Cute, he thought. Now why couldn't Bill make the most of meeting a nice girl like that? He'd be back in civilian life soon, and a guy like Bill needed a wife to steady him. End of chapter 4